This is an ABC podcast. Now, Paris Fashion Week, of course, had all your attention just of late, and you will have seen uh, images of a lion's head, which turns out to be fake, <laughs> and created by the designers at the, at the big fashion house, Chaparelli, and it was fastened by various devices to Kylie Jenner, uh, who was also wearing a black gown, which was kind of the point. Uh, a million TikToks ensued, of course. But this is part of a long history uh, of, of things that shock on the high fashion runway. And it's, it, it's not only long, but a complicated history, a, a tale of technology, even of, of pandemics and war. Ricarda Bigelin knows this. Uh, she is Associate Dean of Fashion and Textile Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. She joins us now. Ricarda, hello. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? Can we begin with a, a little potted history of, of Chaparelli, the house? What's, what's their story? The story's really interesting. I mean, Chaparelli is unlike other brands at the moment. So Chaparelli actually started in the 1920s by Elsa Chaparelli. So one of the um, famous women designers of the time alongside her arch nemesis, which was Coco Chanel. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time, um, it's really important to recognise the, the things that were happening in the world at that time. So Chaparelli is really famous for her relationship with art, her work with artists, and particularly the surrealist movement of artists. So people like Man Ray, but also Salvatore Dali, uh, that really influenced the approach to her work. So this was a time, you know, in between world wars where there was um, a lot of, uh, I guess, ideals and optimism in the world. <laughs> and that time is when I think fashion had this uh, playful edge. It's also around how women started dressing very differently at this time. Uh, there was less kind of restrictions on the female body. But the Surrealist movement really informed how uh, she worked. So she always used very interesting things. She's got a very famous lobster dress, which includes a lobster <laughs> as key features on it. Everything was upside down in her world. So, you know, a shoe would be a hat. Uh, also the use of fur and uh hair, other animal hair, was used at that time quite prolifically in fashion. So, the you know, the, the rise of animal skins in fashion was really happening at that time mm. and she used quite unusual things. So there was all these different kind of plays with, with objects, um, the body, animals, and I think that that was a particular point in time when that happened in fashion. So that's really founded the house of Maison Chaparelli. Uh, and also, um, you know, these trompe l'oeil, trick of the eye sort of things were really fa really familiar to the house as well. But the house kind of um, went, was was kind of in, in the fashion world, there's a term called sleeping beauty brands, which is the houses that in the nicest possible way go to sleep, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, this is a term. <laughs> to, to be awakened by the kiss of a prince. <laughs> exactly. To be awakened by the entrepreneurial naps of a charming creative director that's going to bring back the house from the dead and obviously restage it. It's a real common practice for French houses, particularly because people see it as buying into the heritage of a brand and an iconography that already exists. So right. the creative director can just come in, 
read, just use the archive, go to town and then employ some, you know, 21st century gimmicks to really get the vibe going. Is that what we're seeing here? Totally. Mm. So, so this is definitely, you know, harnessing the power of the media of fashion, harnessing the power of just actually virality and circulation of images. And always throughout this very complicated history of fashion shows, the, the core point is these are promotional devices. They're not for entertainment, even though we might think they are. They're actually to generate sales and revenues of the brand. So are they thinking people will go and order a dress with a lion's head on it? No, they're not, but they're thinking, and this is where it's really interesting, they're thinking that actually if so many people see that lion's head dress, this brand hasn't actually been it, it was revived, I think, in 2014. It hadn't been around. So most people actually don't know this house, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like Dior. It's kind of, ha- it, it's maintained itself over the, you know, over the century. So this does everything it needs to do because it gets brand awareness going. And the average consumer or that middle market consumer might be able to go and buy the Chaparelli perfume as a response when yes. they're browsing. Oh, Wow. That's the same brand as that lion's head I know that name. But isn't, isn't the interesting thing, though, and, and why this is such a beautiful example of this is because the it's so true to that original, you know, surrealist idea. It is, yeah. And I think that that, as I located before, it was happening into war time as well. And interesting things happened between these key global movements in fashion where suddenly people get... You know, we've gone through COVID, but suddenly people are thinking, wow, fashion's just fantastic again. Let's just enjoy the spectacle. <laughs> and I think that really happens. Yes. Um, that's that's a move that a lot of these big brands use, I think, to kind of that utopian world, dreams, this sort of unattainable, seductive world that we see. Lots of echoes. Totally, yeah. totally. Um, but but its main goal is to is to generate revenue and to build that brand. And I have no doubt that it's doing that. But it's interesting too because we're talking here about animal heads, and of course they they were not real. But it feeds into another conversation, and that one around the use of animal products. Um, and, and other brands are sort of being consciously nothing to do with animals, mm. but here's Chaparelli making a, a quite a powerful statement. Um, yeah. it, it doesn't imply that they want to use animals for anything else than shock yeah. value, but even so. The thing about that I haven't mentioned before about Chaparelli, she was famous for shock value. So she actually invented a colour and trademarked it that was called Shocking Pink. <laughs> it was also part of this was shock. So even at that time when she was doing it, it was shock. Oh, wow, a woman's got a shoe on her head or that dress is like a lobster or there's a skeleton on the back of that dress. So it was shock value of the time as well. So I think that that's, that's part of it and it's sort of that, you know, showing difference within those luxury brands um, and those luxury kind of couture brands. You know, the industry itself with where real fur or animal hides, the the widespread, you know, cruelty and animal rights issues with Mm. that are really understood now. So I think that it was shocking in that respect because, you know, in the last five years there's been a real turn in fashion kind of becoming more ethical across human labor rights, animal rights, and obviously environmental ethics. Yeah, yeah. So 
So I think the response has been part of that. But the other part of it is also, you know, the, the, the relationship with the use of animals and animal pelts with Indigenous and First Nation peoples. Like these are traditional practices that have been used all around the world by Indigenous and First Nations or First Land owners. And I think that that also is, is the potential problem with it as well, because mm. there's a, a, a real understanding worldwide of the issues that these were very kind of sustainable and considered material practices that were traditional knowledges that then were exploited with colonization and turned into massive revenues. So I think that, that there's many kind of tenants to the issues with it. Um, it does relate to the background of the house. So, I mean, their argument will be around that. Of that course, this, but it's it's a minefield, isn't it, that they're stepping into? It is. <laughs> it is, but it generates a lot of, like, Discussion. Well, so, as you say, that that's the that's the intent. It's to to totally. create create that attention. Of yeah. course, and, and that is a thing which which stretches back uh, over time. I mean, Chad, give us some of your favourites in, in the history of, of runway gimmicks. What stands out for you? Well, I think for me, like because it's the gimmicks is kind of divided over different areas of the fashion show itself. So from you know, the various spectacles of the runway itself. So there's obviously, first and foremost, creating amazing pieces that just look extravagant and incredible. So that that's always been a part of this practice of the runways. But then all of these other elements are things that have been kind of played with from sonography to choreography of models, theatrics, locations, all of that. So I think that that has been the way that it's really been explored. And all of this has been to, you know, since that point in the mid-20th century where the industry started to grow fundamentally at that point, mm. um, became more than just haute couture for people, a select few that could buy it. It was really the the big kind of mass circulation of ready-to-wear off-the-rack garments. So, the, the storytelling really exploded from that point and people started to do a lot more theatrical things really at that mid-century point. Um, I always do think of um, this film by William Klein, which is called Who Are You Pulling the Goo, where it does a parody of a couture presentation in the opening scenes. I highly recommend it. It's yes. the most amazing uh, scene I've seen in a long time. Um, it was a film from 1966, but this very strange show is set in a monastic-looking modern-day church. Important editors sit in the front row and they witness this presentation of models wearing huge stainless steel dresses and they can't really walk and they're, they're <laughs> kind of in pain. There's very operatic, climactic music um, and then it kind of cuts. So it's it really is that kind of play on the role of the catwalk to just communicate this, this image and this representation and then the actual product itself, the differences between the two. Um, and the shifts have been so broad, I think, like mm. from um, just and that relationship with technology. So... If we're talking also, you know, some of the recent things, so we're seeing really, you know, from women's rights to diversity inclusion or diversity gender of, of genders and sexualities presented to the reflection of diverse cultures, Black Lives Matters, all of that also reflected onto the shows. Um, 
I know the Rick Owens uh, human backpack in 2015 is is a is a is is one of those ones. Just that describe that for people who are not familiar with it. People who have not seen that that actually involved um, dancers carrying each other in the form of a backpack. So one person was a backpack to the other body, um, and this was like a collaboration <laughs> with dancers, um, which fashion a lot of uh, lots and lots of fashion designers have. So there are so many other shows also where it's presented as all ballet dancers. So. As I was saying earlier, like all of the elements of the fashion show are sort of tropes that always designers play with to generate hype. It's mm. not all just the clothes. So this was kind of, you know, really parodying around the the body, like the human body, the power of the body, the sort of really thinking of also like the standards of the body because there are great differences in, you know, this very standardised model-like impossible figure and actually the body of real dancers. That, that, sort of, that sort of shock treatment, though, I mean, even the runway itself, if we go back to the early 20th century, that in itself is an innovation to sort of capture attention. Totally. So, and it's pure, you know, it's pure origins um, were to promote sales. So the earliest runways happened in around 1910 in Paris in the showrooms of, of Parisian couturiers. Um, one in particular was the House of Worth. And they really just involved a very simple parade of what they called mannequins. So they would often in a very kind of salon atmosphere parade the new styles in a very kind of casual way. They would often involve someone as a narrator talking about now we'll see Madame wearing this style and this style and it was just for generating um, re- revenue and sales. It was it had a very similar To thing. that intimate setting, the people in the room Probably. would yeah, then, yeah, then buy the so, dress. Exactly. So it was very different to now. And, and you know, we can obviously glance back at that and we, we don't rely on that intimacy anymore because we have, you know, the web. Well, <laughs> uh, I, was, so I was going to say that that's the new challenge, isn't it? And, and I guess the new incentive uh, to be extreme is to, to get that prominence in social media, to get yourself all over right. TikTok. That's, that's the modern game. It really is, and it's it's the it's that gen, that kind of virality across those things, and how you know the internet really changed these shows. Mm. So mm. changed these shows from really basic elements um, in 1980s, 1990s. The shows always were really kind of down one long narrow runway. They were often down this long narrow runway, this elevated platform. And there was a lot of posing and standing at the end <laughs> and theatrics and waving to the crowd. But now it's if most runways are really kind of nonstop walking and like the fleet of models coming through because that really helps with the live feed when all of the people in the front row can just quickly stream this and it's just so fast. It should not yeah. surprise us, Ricardo, that the world of fashion is uh, a leader in these trends. And, and I, I, for one, am disappointed that my, my tram won't be full of people in weeks to come wearing fake lion heads, but there we are. I know. Life is full of disappointments. Yeah, I know. It's, it would be, it would make life really entertaining. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Ricardo, thank you. 
No worries. It's been great to talk to you, Jonathan. Ricardo Begelin, Associate Dean of Fashion and Textile Design at RMIT University. It's the Blueprint, ABC RN. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.